I'm a savage. Classy, bougie, ratchet. Welcome to What She Said on 105.9 The Region. I'm your host, Candace Sampson. Thanksgiving is right around the corner, and Canadians are struggling to decide how they'll celebrate the upcoming holiday with their families as COVID cases skyrocket across the country. So that's what we're discussing over on the What She Said Facebook page today. Pop on over after today's show to share how you're planning to give thanks with your family this year, and maybe get a few creative ideas from others while you're there. But first, take a load off to listen to today's incredible lineup of women. And we're jumping right in with why procrastination is not something we can afford to do in 2020, with just about everything taking longer to get done. And at the top of that list are winter tires, because waiting for the first snow to fly is probably not a good strategy this year. Tiffany Moyer from Cal Tire joins me to share the importance of getting your tires on now and what to look for if you didn't bother removing them from your car over the summer. Who knows, you might still have them on from last winter. Next, the popularity of The Social Dilemma on Netflix is creating a lot of conversation around the impact of social media on our mental health, both collectively and individually. Dr. Kim Hellmans from Carleton University joins me to share some of her research looking at mental health among youth and what she's seeing, especially with social media use among young women in particular. You'll have a tough time deciding what to watch next after hearing Ann Brody's entertainment reviews this week, including the trial of the Chicago 7 on Netflix with Sasha Baron Cohen, who stars as Abby Hoffman. Plus, two new uh, TV series on Apple Plus TV and one with Bill Murray and free documentaries from the National Film Board of Canada. Turning 50 can be a bit disorienting for women. On one hand, you've never felt better than ever, armed with a lifetime of wisdom and experience. And on the other hand, your ego can take a little bit of a blow as wrinkles start to appear and your body begins to sag in some unexpected places. Anna App is determined to boost women's confidence and have them embrace this stage of their life with her 50 over 50 photography project. She joins me to share what inspired her to start this. Human trafficking is not just something that happens overseas, but very often in our own backyard. Tamara Cherry is a crime reporter who for years heard the heartbreaking details from victims firsthand. She has written a book called All the Bumpy Pebbles to help shine a light on this very real problem. She joins me to discuss. We could all use a little coaching right now, and my final guest shares how she helps her clients overcome adversity, reach their goals, and embrace a life aligned with their purpose. Anita Vocalist is also committed to transforming the separation and divorce narrative to something positive and empowering. Now that's something we need to hear more about. It's another full hour here at What She Said, so let's get rolling right now on 105.9 The Region. I'm a savage, classy, bougie, ratchet. Shut up and My next segment is brought to you by Cal Tire, and you'll want to give this one a listen because it's possible you fall into one of these categories. A recent CalTire survey shows an average of 11% of respondents never had their winter tires removed last spring. And among those who did switch out their winter tires, 60% plan to wait until at least November 
or when snow is forecast or even falling to have their winter tires installed. Joining me to discuss why you may want to rethink that strategy is Tiffany Moyer, store manager of Cal Tire in Waterloo, Ontario. Welcome to the show, Tiffany. Thank you for having me. Okay, so let's get to the first one. Why is this year a bad year to wait until the snow flies? Well, it's 2020, so everything is going to take a little bit longer than normal. Right. We're all used to those waits, you know, to get back in. And now that Ontario is back in a second wave, we very well may see, you know, those long lines outside of stores again that we were seeing, you know, in June. Yeah, it's, it's a possibility. Yeah, it's crazy. Okay, so... Let's talk about that 11% though, because when I read that survey, I was actually surprised that number was not higher uh, because when we went into lockdown, it was March, still very much winter in Canada. Uh, things started to loosen up around June. I imagine a lot of people thought, eh, I'll just leave the winter tires on, why bother? Um, but what happens to your tires when you drive them on um, in summer conditions, your winter tires? Yeah, well... Those winter tires, they're soft. They're good for snow, good for ice, good for those cold temperatures. But what they really don't like is those warm temperatures, especially the 20 and 30 degree days that we saw all summer. So the main thing that's going to happen is there's going to be faster and uneven wear of the tires. Uh, you're going to see poor performance on wet and dry because of that squishier compound. So you're cornering, you're braking. It takes a little longer to respond because you get a little bit of sway in those tires. And you'll actually notice a decrease in your fuel economy on your vehicle. Because those tires have that softer compound, your vehicle needs to work a little bit harder to spin them, which decreases that fuel economy. So the tires don't perform well in the summer, but then if you're going to go into the winter with them, uh, what's going to happen in the winter if you've now worn that, uh, that tread? Yeah, so the most important thing to do is if you've ran your winter tires all summer, have a visual inspection done on them. If you can do it or stop in at your local mechanic or Cal Tire, they'll gladly do that for you. You're gonna wanna make sure you're looking for even wear so that the tread's nice and flat across it, the corners aren't worn off on your tire, and you're also gonna wanna take a tread depth measurement on the tire. Okay, and that's just a little tiny tool you can pretty much pick up anywhere, right? Yeah, it's a little tire uh, tread depth gauge you push the needle all the way out, and then you find the shallowest looking part of your tire. You put the needle in the groove, and then you just apply pressure until the base meets the top of the tire tread. And then you can just read the measurement right on the side. Okay, perfect. Okay, so let's talk about then the winter tires. When can you safely switch over to winter tires? Uh, and it's not when the snow flies. I know this one, spoiler alert. <laughs> Yeah, that's the big thing. They're winter tires. They're not just snow tires. So your winter tires are going to start outperforming your summer or all season tire at positive seven degrees Celsius. That's when that soft compound stays flexible other than your all season tire that for a bit of a Canadian analogy is when it starts to get cold, it's going to turn into that hockey puck on you. That rubber is going to start to freeze. And then when you don't have that flexibility in the tread, you're breaking, you're cornering, all of that is compromised. Yeah, it's funny, you know, because it's true, we, we do tend to think, oh, it's not winter until the snow's here. But a lot of times you'll go out this time of year even, and, you know, you'll have a really cold night and the roads will be um, icy in the morning, mm -hmm. uh, which is all the more reason to have those tires on. Yeah, and that's when you get some of those dangerous conditions is maybe 
there was a bit of a frost or a fog the night before and it's now frozen and you get those really thin layers of ice and water on the roads, that's when you want a tire that's going to respond to that. And unfortunately, all season tires just aren't really made for those in between months in Canada. Okay, I want to talk about that, actually, because I think this is something that, uh, you know, I've worked with Cal Tire for several years, and so I, I think I'm fairly well-versed on tires now. I think a lot of people, though, still don't know the difference between a winter tire, an all-season tire, and an all-weather tire. So let's break that down for people so that they understand that. Yeah, so your all-season tire, or at Cal Tire, we actually classify them as a three-season tire to kind of make that a little bit easier on the consumer to that it's not actually an all-season tire in Canada. If you live in Florida or Nashville, absolutely, right? But that all that three-season tire, it's not, the compound won't stay flexible under seven degrees, doesn't do well with that slush, snow, ice, things like that. Uh, an all-weather tire is something that, it's a tire that you can use year-round but it's made with a different compound that resists temperature change. So in the winter, it doesn't melt away on you. And in the summer, it doesn't, or sorry, in the summer, it doesn't melt away on you. And in the winter, it doesn't turn incredibly hard. It still stays soft. Uh, that tire has a tri-peak mountain and snowflake symbol, which is your severe service emblem. So in, in Ontario, which the really great thing is that gives you your insurance discount as well, because it's classified as a winter tire don't have to worry about those seasonal changeovers. So especially if you're not somebody who does a lot of driving in the winter or if it's a really gross day, you don't need to leave your home. This is a really good option that you can run it year round, but still have that enhanced grip in the winter. Yeah. And you know, and in and, and a place like Toronto, really, um, there's not a ton of snowfall. So it's actually the perfect place to get those all weather tires as opposed to say somewhere, you know, like Ottawa or, you know, uh, Northern Ontario where the snow is much greater. You really want to have those winters on, but in places where, you know, South, Southern Ontario where the snow is really not that great anymore, um, that all weather tire is perfect. Yeah, absolutely. Where you're going to start if you live somewhere where they start to get that snowpack or that really, really heavy fall, absolutely. A dedicated winter, dedicated winter tire is what you want to go with. But if, or all these snowbirds this year that have decided to not go south, this is a really great option for you to run year round. And if you end up hitting a little bit of snow in the mountains as you're driving down, you know you're covered. You know you have something that gives you that little bit of extra grip. You really just brought something to my attention that I had not thought of is that we do have a lot of snowbirds sticking around uh, who are not uh, probably as well versed in driving in the winter as, as they should be because they haven't really done it in a few years. Yeah. This will be a big change for them. It will be. We're seeing a lot of them in at the store. Okay. So let's talk about the store actually, because, because I imagine since uh, this happened, you've had to implement a lot of new things in the store to keep uh, your employees and your customers safe. So what are you doing? Yeah. So one of the main things we've tried to create a one-way flow of traffic. So when you come in the store, there's arrows pointing you which way to go to talk to one of our service advisors, then to go over to our waiting room where we've set a limit of number of people allowed in there at a time and socially distanced our chairs. We are cleaning them in between each customer, trying to make sure we really take care of all of those high touch points. Uh, all of our team members are socially distancing when possible, 
sometimes when you're servicing a vehicle with someone, it's not. So we are all wearing masks when we can't be, when we are within that six foot radius or two meters. Uh, we're, we have a really socially responsible sick leave policy right now so that if somebody is displaying any symptoms, we are monitoring at the start of every shift. We check, I actually myself go around, talk to every single team member to make sure they're symptom free, they feel good, they're ready to be at work that day. And if they're not, they're actually encouraged to call us before they even come in. If they do come in, they're sent home and they get that further instruction from the governing health bodies that are needed. Okay, excellent. So tell me then how people are, uh, should they book with you? Should they do that online? And they obviously call ahead, right? Yeah, so definitely call ahead. Try to book that appointment. It's the best way to make the process enjoyable and easy for you. So you can book online at caltire.com. You can call into the store or you can stop in and see us. And yeah, those either way works good. Okay. And so most important thing is now is the time. Don't wait until the snow flies, right? <laughs> yes. Now is the time. <laughs> and if you still have those winter tires on, definitely get them checked. Yeah. Come see us. If you're not comfortable checking them yourself, it's something we can absolutely give you advice on. Yeah. I've done this with you guys before. It takes about two minutes and, uh, and it's peace of mind to know that your tires are safe for another season. Absolutely. Okay. Wonderful. Thank you for joining me today. Thanks so much. More with Candace Sampson and what she said coming up on 105.9 The Region. Welcome back to What She Said with Candace Sampson on 105.9 The Region. Popularity of the social dilemma on Netflix is creating a lot of conversation around the impact of social media on our mental health, both collectively and individually. Dr. Kim Hellmans is a teaching professor and chair of the Department of Neuroscience at Carleton University. She has received several prestigious teaching awards that recognize her passion and dedication to university teaching, including the Provost Fellowship and Teaching Award and the Capital Educators Award. Her current research looks at mental health among youth and what she's seeing, especially with social media use among young women in particular, is problematic. She joins me today to discuss. Welcome to the show, Kim. Thank you for having me, Candice. It's so good to have you here. So I read with keen interest this, uh, this article in the Ottawa Citizen, which is why I reached out to you. So when I think about social media, you know, and say drugs um, and say alcohol, uh, mm-hmm. you know, alcohol and drugs are regulated or illegal. Uh, social media, on the other hand, there is sort of the Wild West. There's really no regulation on it, especially when it comes to our youth. And when I think about, especially after watching something like The Social Dilemma, you know, where you, it's laid out for you how these are built to be addictive. Yes. Um, yes. It seems like it's a, it's a monumental task to address this. So where do we start? Uh, that's a really good point. And I think where we should start is because re- you're right, there is no regulation, no regulating body saying this stuff should be taken in lower doses. We need some low risk guidelines, right? Like they do with alcohol and they're trying to develop with cannabis now that cannabis is legalized. There could be some guidelines that are put out by the government, uh, not just about the quantity of time, because there is that sort of like the sedentary guidelines if i don't know if you've seen those around like levels of active physical activity and they're like well you probably shouldn't have more than two hours of screen time a day but it's more like 
you know, we could be even more ex explicit, like you probably should be on these, these sites scrolling for a minimum of X number of minutes per day. Um, if you find that you're experiencing this uh, symptom after being on for so long, you should probably seek some supports. So giving teens, youth, some, some more concrete guidelines around what consists low risk for the development of potentially some problematic um, use. The problem is, of course, we need more studies to determine what, de what goes from most or least harmful to most harmful, right? So we don't really know that. The research is kind of not there yet. And I think, too, the struggle is, you know, uh, it's nice to say, you know, as a parent talking to you, it's, it's I, I understand that two hours is great. I understand that. It's getting my children to understand that, who, where, you know, the yeah. prefrontal cortex thing is not quite uh, where mine is. And so it's putting into action these steps that get kids to understand um, that they're being played a little bit uh, by social media. Yeah, right. And it's like sometimes not realistic, especially now, right? So here, is I, here I am as an educator uh, asking my students to be on the internet in order to engage with me in my courses. And, in, you know, we have a neuro, one of my, uh, we have Instagram accounts for my classes and for my program. So we're asking them to engage more, right? So we're, they're already on those spaces. And now, you know, virtual learning plat platforms will now go into those social media environments potentially. So it's, it, it is, it's challenging. And then, of course, you know, because I have a 14-year-old, a 15-year-old niece, um, that's where they're with their friends now, right? So right. we got to balance that out. And this is kind of what I was saying in the article is that um, uh, we have a desire to socialize and particularly young women to define ourselves by our social groups. And if we can't meet in person, where are we going to meet? In these social platforms. And then here's the other flip side to the equation is that we know then that when in particular young girls have a loss of healthy social connections that also puts them at risk for loneliness and depression so it's like this it's, very, it's a perfect storm it's a perfect storm uh it's i don't know what the answer is so but i mean i don't want to get too into the fear-mongering of this but what are no. some of the consequences you're seeing of of this on young women well, it's, it's early to say because um, we haven't yet done a lot of those complex statistics that uh, what our next step is we, uh, we're also going to start relating uh, the problematic social media scale to depressive and anxious symptoms. We haven't done that yet. All we're seeing is we're seeing increases in it. The question is, of course, does that relate to depression and anxiety? That means the more you're using social media, are, is that also associated with more depression and anxiety? My guess is yes, because of what I've seen in other published literature. You know, if it is in line with what we do predict with other um, uh, maladaptive coping strategies, such as overuse of cannabis and alcohol and other substances, is that, you know, they will develop more mental health concerns. And then, of course, that needs to be addressed, right? And, they, you know, you hear that young girls in particular, you know, scrolling through all these Instagram feeds, look at her beautiful life, look at her beautiful body, look at, oh my God, she's eating so healthy, um, compare, 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 right? So that's the one one piece that we know then drives like sort of that feelings of sadness. And then there's the other piece, which is, you know, I don't really, we don't really look at that in my research, but bullying, right? Cyber bullying, that they're putting themselves more at risk for predation from, um, uh, you know, stalkers and whatnot. So there's all those other pieces that the more, you know, what 
the common saying is in the literature, more use, more problems. You know, right? I, you, it's funny you say that, you know, I look at my, I look at my daughter's social media, for example, and they post a picture on Instagram and it's instantaneous. Oh my God, you're beautiful. You're so cute. Yeah, you're yes, gorgeous. Blah, yeah. blah, blah. And it takes one person to leave a comment that's negative. Um, and the mood shift is massive. Um, yeah. And that's not even bullying. That's just a negative comment. Right. So, you yes. know, and we're all susceptible to that. We, we know that even just outside of social media, that just one uh, negative thing can really change your mood. And this is sort of a daily ongoing thing. Deluge. And, and it has a digital permanent footprint. Yeah. As opposed to somebody saying something mean to you in person that only those around are the witnesses and it reverberates and then you can kind of forget about it. That's on your Instagram post ad infinitum unless you delete it. But then there's the screenshots and da 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 da. So yeah, like you say, it's it's we almost don't know the long term uh, impacts because also the digital spaces are changing so much. Yeah. So I really want people to follow along with you um, and keep up with what you're doing. So where are all the places they can find you? Oh, um, so I'm on Twitter. Uh, my handle is at minding the brain because I also do have a podcast that I co-host with my fantastic colleague, Dr. Jim Davies. So the podcast is called minding the brain. Uh, and you can find out, uh, if you're interested in listening to the podcast, you can go to mindingthebrainpodcast.com, but we're on all the typical, uh, podcast outlets. So Stitcher, uh, and the Apple products. Uh, I'm on Instagram. My public account is at Dr. Kim Hellemans, H-E-L-L-E-M-A-N-S. And then um, that's it for the public spaces. Okay, wonderful. We'll put all that up on the video that we're going to put on social media. And I thank you for joining me. I'm good to have you back again because this topic is, uh, we all need to know more about it and, sure. uh, and be doing something yeah. on it. So thank you so much. You're so welcome. What about us? 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 Joining me now for Saturday Night at the Movies is the lovely Anne Brody, who is taking a well-deserved vacation in Muskoka. Yes, and I'm at this stunning spot that's just loaded with fall color. It's the JW Marriott Muskoka Hotel and Spa. And I'm telling you, the leaves are almost at peak and it's breathtaking. Just yeah, you really can't beat Muskoka in the fall for the colors. It's just gorgeous there. So for those of us who are caught indoors though, Anne, uh, what do you got for us this week? I've got a real treat, starting with Aaron Sorkin's A Trial of the Chicago 7, which is based on the protest riot that happened outside the National Democratic Convention in Chicago in 1968. So they were protesting the number of boys being sent off to the Vietnam War. They doubled the quotient. And so they decided to make a noise. They did. A riot ensued. And uh, Hoffman and Tom Hayden were charged with inciting it. And they were, you know, they were put in front of a very difficult, unreasonable judge, played by Frank Langella, who gave them stiff sentences. And then Abby Hoffman reads out a list of names of the boys who died. Everyone in the, in the courtroom stood up. There are tons of side stories as well. There's the Bobby Seale story, the Fred Hampton story. It's really interesting. You know how sometimes Sorkin's stuff is too talky? Well, this isn't. It's much more natural, but it's powerful and very reminiscent of some of the movements today. 
Yeah, you know, it seemed very timely. And I was, it's funny that you mentioned Aaron Sorkin because I was uh, desperately seeking the West Wing just for a little glimpse oh. of normalcy in the States. <laughs> and uh, I couldn't find it anywhere. So I'm glad to hear that Aaron Sorkin is still around. Uh, and I'm definitely oh, yeah. going to catch this. Yeah. Uh, very timely. And another one that I noticed you have listed there is The Glorias. The Glorious. It's kind of a fantasy biography of Gloria Steinem. The Glorias being young Gloria, who was impoverished, and they were itinerant. Her father was a traveling salesman. And then the Gloria, who became a law intern and went to India as a young woman to study the caste system. Um, and then the Gloria, who, be, who was a fully grown woman, activist, feminist, radical leader. And, you know, she's been a leader for 50 years, if not a little bit more than that. But at Julianne Moore plays the grown uh, Gloria and Alicia Vikander plays her in India. And there are lots of little animated bits put in to sort of highlight what she's uh, saying and thinking and feeling. And also Bette Midler plays Bella Abzug, which is really fun. <laughs> And so it's it's a fun one. It's odd. It's very odd. But Julianne Moore rules, as you know. So oh, I love her. And there's yeah. Apple TV has a couple. So tell me about Tyran because that looked really. Um, oh my! Had me on the edge that, of watching the trailer. Yeah. Yes. And that that's what they used to call a pulse pounder. It's about a, a Mossad agent, a young woman who is on her first mission. She's sent to Tehran to infiltrate the national nuclear weapons uh, mainframe and disable the system. So, uh, and you're just going, oh my God, I can't take this. She gets in under this incredible subter subterfuge, manages to get in, and she's seconds away from completing the mission when the buildings shut down. And she runs and a man follows her and she murders him. And then she's off into the wild with no protection. It's actually quite astounding, uh, very heavy duty. It's a huge hit in Israel and Palestine, parts of the Middle East. So it's just landed on Apple TV now. So well worth it. And, who, and I, I honestly was so excited to see Bill Murray. He's always played the single guy, the rogue, the, the, the adventure. Rashida Jones is his daughter. And they, they bond over some difficulties that she's having and uh, quite cute, very cute, thoughtful. Sophia Coppola wrote and directed it and her signature touch is um, a kind of magic realism almost in relationships. So that's really good. Yeah, I find Sophia Coppola's work very um, understated. She sort of, uh, it's, she doesn't put a lot of fluff in. It's just actually just Never. nice character development through everything she does i find so it was nice to see bill murray uh back in something he, he's a delight i love him and he just plays that again very uh he comes across as a bit of a cad the character but that's that's who he is i mean that's what he is in generally in films so <laughs> yeah it was great anything else that we can't miss this week oh the nfb is starting to air free certain documentaries over the entire month of October. So, and they're themed to certain days. Um, so have a look at my website and you'll see what some of these days are, but 
free documentaries. Wow. What could be better? Exactly. Just what we need right National now. Uh, thank you so much, Anne. This is all up on what she said, radio.com and everybody can get this list uh, there for what they can watch at home. And you are enjoying your time in Muskoka. Thank you. And there's also an interview with the stars of Tehran. Excellent. Thank you, Anne. Bye. Stick around. More What She Said with Candace Sampson coming up on 105.9 The Region. Welcome back to What She Said with Candace Sampson on 105.9 The Region. We live in a society that obsesses about youth, and as any woman will tell you who has reached the magic age of 50, it can be a little bit disorienting. Well, on one hand, you've never felt better than other, ever armed with a lifetime of wisdom and experience, your ego can take a blow as wrinkles start to appear and your body starts to sag in unexpected places. Anna App is a portrait and branding photographer specializing in photographing women, specifically women who don't like to be photographed. Anna's mission is to prove that all women are beautiful. This year, she started her 50 Over 50 project, to which I was lucky enough to be one of the chosen 50, and she joins me today to discuss. Welcome to the show, Anna. Hi, thank you. So I loved this project from the moment I heard about it because I know so many women who, you know, hit 40 um, and 50 and feel like, you know, um, they lose some worth, and I that's just so sad to see. Is that what pr- compelled you to start this? Um, yes and no. <laughs> I'm turning 50 soon. And uh, last year on my 49th birthday, I wanted to figure out a way to celebrate kind of big, but in my own way. So I was looking for a way to incorporate my work into my celebrations. And um, a friend of mine in California told me about this project she was working on. And so I was like, can I do it too. (laughs) So she was like, yes, do it. It's amazing. So the more I got into it, the more I realized, so women in the fifties, they feel like they disappear. They feel like nobody sees them anymore and they're not out on the media anymore. And they just, they really feel like they have no place. Um, Now, since I've started some pretty amazing, famous women turned 50 and did some great things. So we have like JLo and Jennifer Aniston. Um, I think Helen Mirren, that's the right one. Might have turned 50 last year. So all these women all of a sudden were coming out and they're showing that they're like, they still exist. I mean, mind you, they've had a little extra something that we don't all do, but um, the basis behind the project is just to prove that we exist and that we're not despairing. We have a lot to offer. Yeah. And I mean, I think it's unfair to look, hold up JLo as the, you know, where we should all be <laughs> as this, the gold standard. Uh, but I think, you know, um, when, when you look out across the landscape at women who are, are 50, um, I feel like it's changed a little bit from when my mother turned 50. 50 felt very old. And I know we say, you know, we joke around and say 50 is the new 30. Uh, and it's not really because my body will attest to that. It's not. <laughs> it's not. <laughs> um, but certainly I feel like there is, um, it's less of this movement into old age and more of this movement into self-awareness. Absolutely. And it, so far, everybody I've spoken to or that I've photographed, their biggest thing is that they still feel 25 in their minds. They're just, it's 50 is just an age and that everything gets better after their 50th birthday. 
Okay. So how many? Every when, single one of them. When did you start this project then? I started photographing in January. And then we know what happened. <laughs> so we got 12 people done and then we had to take a pause. So we picked it up again in late June. People, we were allowed to start photographing in June, but people had to get to see their hairstylists and whatever. And so it really, really picked up again in July, which I try, tried really hard not to schedule into the heat of summer, but we had to do it. And so I think we're down to 30 people done. So 25. So 20 more to go, but you also yeah. have an exhibition coming up of all these, all these amazing women. So how is that going to work? So um, I just found out that we actually can't have it. Oh, I know. So the building that we were using um, is not open yet. It's the Cancer Foundation building on Alta Vista. And uh, a part of, of any additional sales that are made is going towards the Cancer Foundation. And so we were having our exhibit at their building. Now, it's not open. And given the uptick in cases locally, I feel that it's not responsible to have a celebration right now. So we're working on trying to figure out how to make it uh, a live virtual event. Um, it's not all solidified yet. <laughs> but I'm working with a couple of people to see if they can help me make that happen for um, October 24th. Okay. And so because you have a very personal connection, obviously, um, to your can to the cancer, uh, regional cancer center. So can you just explain why you tied this project to that uh, charity? Um, I have a lot. I've, there's probably too many stories, really. Um, so years ago, I used to run the, for the cure. I used to run. I can't run anymore. So I photographed the run for the cure. Um, I had several friends going through breast cancer, so that's how I could support them was by running. Um, I have since met um, a wonderful family who have two children who are battling cancer, brain cancer. Um, the youngest just passed away this spring during COVID. So that was a awful situation all around. It's awful all around, but to not have this army of people that have supported them was really difficult. Um, and I also photograph women who are going through cancer treatments. And I've been doing this for years. And so if somebody comes to me and says, I have a friend, can we do some portraits? I will find a way to get them in the studio or go to them and take portraits of them. Um, I also support uh, Cocana Designs, it's a clothing company, and Colleen Canna went through breast cancer. She does an event every year called Forget for a Moment, where she brings in 15 women who have gone through breast cancer or going through the treatment at the time and give them a night to forget. They do their hair, makeup, little treats are out there, and then I go in and photograph them. And so they have this portrait of the I mean, it's a time in life, you have to just take this time. So they have portraits of themselves and some of the ladies, this has been their favorite portrait they've had done. Okay. So what has been the feedback from the women that have uh, had their photographs taken with you so far? Uh, because, you know, I expect it, you know, I, I, I came to see you obviously, and um, yeah. you know, I'm very comfortable in front of a camera. So uh, I would probably be considered abnormal uh, in that respect, uh, just because I have a media background. So what yeah. about the women who come to you who are not comfortable in front of the camera? What has been the uh, reaction to their photos? Oh, they love them. So, so far, I don't think I have one lady who hasn't loved their photos. Um, 
when we bring them into the studio and we start doing their makeup, I'm constantly talking. I do a lot of, I'm sorry. I talk a lot. And so in that 45 minutes, they're getting their makeup done. I talk to them, I ask questions, we get laughing. So by the time we actually start photographing, they're already at ease more. And then we get in the studio and I just go through some poses that generally help people to relax. And then by the time they're done, they, they're dancing and having fun and it's like they've always been here doing stuff. And so when they get to see their pictures, they're like, wow, that's amazing. I can't believe I look like that. And I'm like, and it's because you look great. <laughs> and I think, you know, for me, looking at the images that you take, I think that you truly capture their personality. And a good photographer will take the time to, to pull that out of somebody uh, rather than them have just run through a series of poses. Yeah, I definitely try. Um, I mean, there is only so many poses you can do. Uh, but I definitely try to get their personalities to come out when, when I'm photographing them, just by talking. And sometimes we talk the entire time and they just stop to smile a little bit and that just eases them through it. So do you think you will continue with this project uh, uh, next year? Um, I actually think it's just going to continue. <laughs> so people that keep doing it then tell two friends and then they tell two friends uh, and so as long as there's a need for women to be photographed um, I'll do it yeah and you know you mentioned something um, you know we, we do sort of a little pre-discussion before the interview and you you mentioned the importance of uh, printing those pictures yes so everybody that comes they any picture they get from me also comes with a printed version so we never know what's going to happen with our computers um, you might have a CD from years ago, or you've lost pictures in your iPhone, or you have a stick that you can't read now that we don't have USB drives. So we never know what's gonna happen with our technology. But a printed picture will last forever. Um, I have pictures of my grandparents that are 120 years old. So I, I mean, I would not have that. I would not know that my child looks just like my grandfather or my father if I didn't have those prints because I never met a grandfather. So I, I'm a true believer in printing. I have prints behind me. I'm always printing portraits because that's just, that'll never go away. Okay. So if people want to see your images or get in touch with you to, you know, uh, get these magic photos, uh, that's what I think they are. Uh, how would they find you? Um, my website is AnnaEpp.com. That's the easiest way to find me. I'm also on Facebook under Anna Epp Photography. Um, Instagram under the Anna Epp somebody else has Anna F. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> so the Anna F on there. Um, yeah, that should be, that's how you can find me. Okay, great. We're going to put that all up on the video that goes out on social and we're going to share these images as well. So thank you so much for joining me today, Anna. Thank you, Candice. It's a funny, funny way So sorry, I feel so sad. I tried to help you, it just ain't you of all the social justice issues we talk about on what she said, there is perhaps none more misunderstood than that of human trafficking. Tamara Cherry is an award-winning journalist, victim advocate, and founder of Pickup Communications, a public relations firm that specializes in supporting victims and survivors of traumatic events. She is the first civilian recipient of the Peel Regional Police Chief's Certificate for her groundbreaking reporting on human trafficking, 
and has lectured widely on the topic of human trafficking for lawyers, police officers, and nonprofit organizations. Until 2019, she was the crime specialist for CTV News Toronto and has reported on crime for the Toronto Sun and Toronto Star newspapers. Inspired by her years of reporting, she has released a new fiction novel that is a crash course on the domestic sex trafficking of girls and women in Canada called All the Bumpy Pebbles. Welcome to the show, Tamara. Thank you. So I guess my first question is, why did you decide to fictionalize this? I mean, you obviously know this in depth uh, in a nonfiction way. So why make it a fiction novel? So there's a couple reasons. One of them is that many years ago, I actually sat down with one of the survivors that I was working a lot with of human trafficking. Um, and we started working on a book about her story because it was just, I mean, it, it was, it was horrific. Um, her cases was also sort of one of the landmark human trafficking cases in Canada. But the process ended up being sort of a traumatic experience for her reliving uh, not only some of the stuff she went through as a victim of human trafficking, but some of the traumatizing things that happened in her life in the years leading up to that. So it got to a point that I said, you know what, let's step back from this. If at some point down the road you want to do this sort of thing, we can do that. Um, but then I, I decided, you know, there, there needs to be another way that I can tell these stories of survivors without having to go that deep into their lives with them, but still make the average Canadian and really anybody in the world, because this is the same in a lot of countries, um, relate to what is happening to these girls and women. So what I did with all the bumpy pebbles was I decided to basically make a composite character for Roxanne, the protagonist, um, and she, her experiences represent, and the experiences of the other characters that she encounters in the book, represent the experiences of so many different girls and women that I've interviewed as a journalist over the years, as well as stories that were told to me by those battling this problem on the front line. So people that work in shelters, um, some very com compassionate police officers from different police forces across the GTA. And I wanted to create something that, like I said, people could relate to and could make them understand. Uh, because as a journalist, one of the most common questions I was asked was, why didn't she just leave? She wasn't chained to a bed. And I wanted to put something together, something comprehensive that could answer those questions that somebody could sit down and read and say, oh, now I get it. And it doesn't just focus on one story because every survivor I've ever spoken to, well, there are certainly a lot of common themes when it comes to things like the rules that their traffickers uh, give them, a lot of them are the same. All of their stories are so unique. So I wanted to try to get something that was broad enough to cover a lot of those stories, to check a lot of the boxes and just give people a general understanding of, of how this happens and why it's important, an important issue for us to pay attention to. So, uh, you know, for anybody listening right now, I think a lot of us automatically think, oh, human trafficking, that's overseas. What would you tell uh, people in Canada who are listening, especially mothers, because, uh, you know, I have a lot of mothers that listen. What would you say to them to pay attention for in their own home? I would say uh, pay attention if your daughters are becoming withdrawn, if they're on social media and you don't know who they're talking to. I think it's always important for you to know uh, what different relationships your daughters are in. Um, I think it's also very important for parents, not just mothers, but mothers and fathers, to model what healthy relationships are. So you might not have a healthy relationship in your own home, for example, but I think it's important to have conversations with young girls and women about what healthy relationships should look like. So if a man is telling you that, 
you need to prove your love to him by, for example, dancing naked in front of other men. That's not love. If a man is telling you that uh, to reach your dream together, you need to sell your body or do something that you're not comfortable with, that's not love. So we need to be teaching our young girls. Um, I think this needs to be taught, you know, at the ages of 12, 13, 14, in an age-appropriate way, uh, what healthy relationships look like and their own self-worth. Something I noticed a lot in a lot of the survivors that I spoke with was, um, yeah, some of them came from broken homes. Um, some of them, many of them had suffered of abuse as child, as children. Uh, but they all needed something. There was some void that needed to be filled. So either they felt like they needed to be loved. It's not to say they didn't have anybody at home that loved them. Uh, they felt like they needed clothing. They wanted the new nice clothes. They needed shelter. A lot of these um, uh, habitual runaways are at a high risk of being trafficked. Um, so I think open, open and honest conversations with your kids is very important, knowing who they're talking to and, you know, asking questions in delicate ways, maybe. Okay, wonderful. So if people want to find your book then, where can they find that? And where can they find you online? So it, uh, my book is available in all of the usual ebook places, Kindle, Kobo, uh, Apple Books, you name it. Uh, if you want to buy it in paperback, you can do so through Amazon. Just search All the Bumpy Pebbles or my name, Tamara Cherry. Uh, where am I online? I'm on Facebook, uh, Tamara Cherry, Twitter, at Tamara Cherry, Instagram, at Tamara K. Cherry. I've just sort of gotten back into the social media as I start to engage with people about this book. So, and I'm always happy to hear feedback and, and engage in conversations about this topic. Okay, wonderful. Thanks so much for joining me today, Tamara. Thanks for giving me the opportunity to talk about this. You should be, you should be, you should be. More with Candace Sampson and what she said coming up on 105.9 The Region. Welcome back to What She Said with Candace Sampson on 105.9 The Region. I've looked at clouds from both sides now, from up and down. My next guest practiced family law for 19 years before becoming a certified master life coach who specializes in separation and divorce recovery. She is trained in NLP, which is neuro-linguistic programming, and incorporates these techniques in her practice, helping her clients overcome adversity, reach their goals, and embrace a life aligned with purpose. Anita Volikas is also committed to transforming the separation and divorce narrative to something positive and empowering. Welcome to the show, Anita. Thank you so much for having me, Candace. So positive and empowering. That seems a little bit uh, doesn't fit with divorce. <laughs> <laughs> Good point. So tell me, um, you know, it feels like the, the coaching space has exploded um, in recent years. So why, why would people seek out a life coach or a coach? Well, in the context of separation and divorce, um, the utility of having a coach is to deal with more than just your legal issues. Lawyers deal with legal issues, but as we all know, and especially those going through the process, separation and divorce is more than a legal journey. Your life changes and is upended in so many ways. And it's about navigating changing relationships. It's about dealing with emotional change, financial change. 
um, the overwhelm of the family law process itself. So a lawyer can't help with those aspects, whereas a coach is trained to do that and has a very discreet role in helping their clients move forward, take action, get out of the overwhelm, deal with the emotional aspects of being able to take charge of the rest of your life. That's the benefit of having a coach. So do you, would, would if somebody going through this process then, would the first call be to somebody like you as opposed to perhaps a, a lawyer and you would help them navigate the various aspects of, of where they should go from, from that point? Ideally, yes. Um, ideally, yes. There are certain exigent circumstances that require legal action to be taken quickly, um, but those are not the usual circumstance, thankfully. Ideally, someone should be contacting a coach like myself who has experience in doing this. And then I can point them to various professionals, including lawyers. I know the landscape well. And then the benefit of doing that at the outset is you're working with a coach in tandem with addressing your legal issues. So you're putting yourself in the right mindset to take action and to deal with the process the best way you can from the outset. And mindset is key, which is why I think having a coach involved from the moment you're either told that your marriage is over by your spouse or you decide that you're going to have that conversation, um, your mindset is going to be very important to you um, going through the process a certain way and hopefully in a resilient, calm, peaceful way, um, not conflict ridden and you know, some, a situation that can leave you at peace with the outcome. So you're not, you're not um, a mediator and, and you're not the lawyer. So you're really there for the individual going through this journey. Uh, tell me how this has changed for you uh, in, with this pandemic, because I feel, you know, again, every interview I've done on this, uh, it, this is a whole new element to divorce and separation, the pandemic. Absolutely. I mean, this is such a unique situation right now where people's anxiety levels and fear levels and worry are at, you know, highs. Um, we haven't seen this before in our lifetimes. People with children are worried about their kids and how they're going to fare well generally, never mind how they're going to deal with their parenting issues with their, with their co-parent. Um, so having a coach to go to to help you become forward thinking in that and to help you think outside of the box, outside of the traditional ways of handling these situations is useful. Coaching for me is about growth. It's about being able to um, conceptualize and then act on um, what you would like to achieve. And what you would like to achieve in a separation is hopefully um, come out the other end, um, having a plan, having a balanced life, having a joyful life and having some stability for your children um, and working with a coach will help you think of creative ways to achieve that. Um, so this pandemic has made people realize, you know, there are other options to just, you know, going the traditional course and hiring a lawyer and starting a court application and just going through those motions because there are difficulties with the court process right now. It's working differently. I mean, it is running, it's operating, but it's, um, there are all kinds of different procedures. It's very overwhelming for some people, but it gives those who are experiencing separation an opportunity to craft unique outcomes, work with their partner, even if it's difficult to do that, work in a creative way, even if they need an intermediary. A coach isn't a mediator and isn't a lawyer, although I'm a lawyer by training. Um, a coach is someone who is there to guide, educate, empower, and uh, help their clients stay accountable on their path. A coach isn't a therapist, um, very different things. And sometimes people confuse the two. 
Um, but this pandemic has really created situations that, that need the um, intervention of a coach, the assistance of a coach to help with all of that overwhelm that this context um, has created for families. Okay, great. So if people want to find you then and find out more and find out how to work with you, where can they find you? I have a website. My business is Anita Velikis Coaching, and it's anitavelikiscoaching.com. All my services are provided there. Um, I also um, have a social media presence, Instagram, at Anita Velikis Coaching. Um, I have a Facebook business page, the same name. You can find me there. You can find some useful information there. I have a downloadable how to separate well cheat sheet, which gives you some real guidance and tips and starting off right. That's on, on my website and you can get instant access to that information by going there. Okay, excellent. Thanks so much for joining me today, Anita. Thank you for having me. It was a pleasure. That's it for What She Said for this week. Stay up to date with our newsletter by signing up at whatshesaidradio.com and be sure to follow on social at What She Said Talk on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter for videos of these interviews and more. Finally, be sure to subscribe to What She Said with Candace Sampson on Apple and Spotify for extended podcasts. I'll be back next week with more What She Said on 105.9 The Region. I'm a savage. Classy, bougie, ratchet. Previous episodes of What She Said on 1059theregion.com. Hi, I'm Steve Yurko. And I'm Tara Sands. Now available from Maji Media is our new podcast, Four Kids Flashback. Four Kids is the company who brought you the English dub of Pokemon in the late 90s and so many other shows like Yu-Gi-Oh!, Shaman King, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Kirby, the infamous One Piece dub, and so many more. We'll be talking to the people who worked at Four Kids. Actors, directors, writers, editors, producers, engineers, you get the point. And hopefully get the answers to questions both you and I have about the company. I actually worked there as a voice actor on some of the shows. And I was a kid watching the shows and remember way more than Tara does. And thank God for that. Steve is actually a professional storyboard artist, which gives some really unique insights into anime and animation. Subscribe today wherever you get your podcasts. That's the number four kids flashback. I'm Connie Teeson, the host of Broadcast Dialogue, the podcast. We focus on Canada and the challenges facing Canadian radio and TV, as well as highlighting those moving the industry forward from podcasting and streaming to new broadcast tech. Check us out at broadcastdialogue.com or your favorite podcast app. Another Sound Off Media Company podcast.